Hello, and welcome to the teaching ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information, including service times and directions, or to find out more about us, you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com. We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. We want to get back today on, on the message that I've been talking about that's been on my heart. The Spirit of God has something that He's wanting to make real to us. Amen? And so in the second chapter of 1 Corinthians, in verse number six, it says, however, we speak wisdom among those who are mature, yet not the wisdom of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing, but we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory. Now notice that the wisdom he's talking about was hidden. It says that God had hidden this wisdom, but that it was ordained before the ages for our glory. Well, if he hid it, he couldn't be hiding it from us because it's for us. No, it was hidden from the devil. It's hidden from the world. And, and it was hidden. It was held secret, kept secret, so that it could be revealed to the church. Praise God. This is the hidden wisdom that is no longer hidden to us. He goes on and says, which none of the rulers of this age knew, for had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, I has not seen nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed them. Revealed what? Those things God has prepared for us, amen? God has revealed them to us through his spirit for the spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. Thank God for the Holy Spirit. Thank God that, it, that, that the spirit has been sent here to teach us what we need to know to reveal all of God's truth to us. Jesus said, I'm going away, but when I go, I'm sending another teacher and he will guide you into all truth. He will take the things that I've spoken to you and reveal those things to you and he will tell you things to come. Thank God the spirit of God today is working in the church to reveal truth to us not so that we can just know more, but so that we can rise up in the fullness of what he has for us and actually experience everything he has, walk in everything he has, do everything he's instructed us to do, minister in every way he wants us to minister, reach everybody we're supposed to reach, do the works of Christ, amen? Jesus said, the works that I do, you will do also, and greater works will you do Glory to God. Now, why did he say that? And this gets into this message. He said, because I go to the Father. What has that got to do with us doing the works? Well, let's look at this today, amen? Glory to God. We know this, that God has revealed the things that he has prepared for us who love him. He has revealed those things and is revealing those things and anything that you don't know about these things, he will reveal it to you. But you have to have a desire for it. You have to have your spiritual antenna up, so to speak. 
You know, if you're not getting the radio stations that are in the area right now, it's not because there's anything wrong with the radio stations. It's because you don't have your receiver on. Isn't that right? Well, we turn our receiver on by listening on the inside to what the Spirit of God is saying to us and tuning ourselves to the frequency, if you want to say it like that, to get into a place where we can hear what God is saying. We know that he broadcasts the Word of God and by his Spirit. He's not broadcasting anything other than the Word of God, but he's sending it to us by the Spirit so that we, when we read the Word, we'll get the information and the understanding that we need. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Now, we were looking at this passage, and go over with me to Ephesians. Hallelujah, the third, uh, first chapter, Ephesians chapter one. Paul here was praying for the church at Ephesus, but you know what he prayed for the church at Ephesus is good for the church in High Springs. It's good for the church at Impact, amen? He said, I was praying, and he said in verse 16, I do not cease to ask for this. So this was a repetitive, repeating, recurrent prayer that Paul prayed without ceasing for the church. And so it would be good for us to pray this prayer without ceasing. He said, I do not cease to pray and to ask these things. Well, if he didn't cease asking, we shouldn't cease asking. If you wanna know something besides your own personal needs, I'm talking about your specific individual needs. If you wanna know something else, that you can pray for, start right here. Amen, start right here. This is something that the Apostle Paul prayed without ceasing, and I believe he prayed it not only for the church at Ephesus, but for all the churches. Amen, because the Holy Spirit would have the same will, the same purpose for all the churches. He just identified it here in this epistle. He said that, this is what I'm praying, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. You need to pray that prayer for yourself. If you're gonna understand the New Testament, you're gonna have to have the spirit of wisdom and revelation. See, understanding the things of God is not just a mental process. It's not just sitting in church hearing me, hearing other people, and letting the things that are spoken register in your mind and processing them mentally, you understand that we do that, that's how you get information in the natural realm. It's tax time. If you wanna know how to fill out your taxes, if you're doing it yourself, you have to get the information. You have to go to the IRS website. You have to download the material or buy a, a, a printed material, material and you have to study it and you process it with your mind. Isn't that right? And, and, and after you've read it and processed it maybe a few times, you know, you begin to understand it so you can fill out your tax uh, forms correctly. Spiritual things are not the same way. You don't understand the Bible simply by your mind. You understand the things of the Spirit by the Holy Spirit on the inside of your spirit. Go back with me to 1 Corinthians again. 1 Corinthians 2. 
Notice verse 12. Now we have, we stopped at verse 11. He continues, now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been given, freely given to us by God. These things we also speak. Now pay attention. These things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God. Now, the natural man is the unsaved man. He says the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. Now, notice the next part of that verse. Nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. Now you just think for a minute of a natural man, just an unsaved man or woman, a person could walk into our congregation today and if he is not saved, if he is simply a natural man, he could be the most brilliant man in our community or woman or person. He could have a high, an IQ that is off the charts. He could be a very accomplished person in whatever his field is. He could be the top uh, physicist or the top physician or, or, the, or the top educator or, or, the, or the most brilliant business person, it, you know, just, just completely uh, revolutionizing industry and, and corporations and just, be, just have a grasp and ability to grasp things quicker than anybody else. He cannot discern the things of the Spirit. He cannot know the things God has for us. And I ought to tell you right there, it doesn't come through your mind. He cannot know them because they are spiritually discerned. If you want to know what belongs to you as a Christian, you're going to have to get it down here on the inside of you. And I'm going to tell you from experience, I know very well, many of you experience the same things. There are things you get down here on the inside of you as you spend time meditating in the word and praying in the Holy Spirit. Meditating in the word and praying in the, you say, well, what is praying in the Holy Spirit has to do with? Praying with the Holy, in the Holy Spirit is part of that process of tuning your inward man into the signal uh, because the Holy Spirit is the broadcaster and he's in your spirit. Notice the part that he says here, these things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches. Words which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. Now, the last part of that verse, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. I have, uh, I don't know how many uh, Bible translations uh, on my shelves both Old and New Testament. I have a, a larger variety of New Testament, but I've got quite a few. I haven't counted them lately. But I've read through all of them, and I've looked at, uh, at the 26th translation that, that pulls on a few others that I don't have. 
I have some that are not in the 26th translation book too, but I have looked at the latter part of this verse, verse number 13, and, and it seems that translators are all over the place trying to translate what this verse, what the latter part of this verse is saying. And in my other Bible, I had some of those written in in my previous one, my newer Bible. I haven't brought that over yet. But, but some of them say that comparing spiritual realities are, are, are joining spiritual realities with spiritual words or something to that effect. See, praying in the Holy Spirit helps you to give utterance. It helps you give, the Spirit of God gives you utterance and you speak the things in the Holy Spirit that you need to understand and it registers on the inward man whether it registers on the, on the mental man or not. What? Fitting spiritual words with spiritual concepts. Praying in the Holy Ghost, and I'm not saying that's the only way to, to uh, uh, apply this verse, but it does apply here. Praying in the Holy Spirit fits spiritual words to spiritual concepts or spiritual concepts to spiritual, spiritual words. The things that, and he's talking about the mysteries of God, the things that are revealed to us, these are the things we speak. It's important to pray in the Holy Spirit as you feed on the word of God. I'm not talking about it at the same time, but I'm saying it, it, those two things are so important in your life because by praying in the Holy Spirit, you, you give God the opportunity to allow you to speak these things that he's wanting to show you and it registers those things down on the inside of you. And like I said, there have been times when I've been just praying in the spirit and feeding on, on passages and praying in the spirit that I would get an understanding, something just going off on the inside of me that I could not actually put in English I could not actually express there was something bigger on the inside of me that I knew I was laying hold of and, and I could not formulate it with my natural mind. I just, I, as we say that old saying, I could not wrap my mind because your mind is not big enough to wrap itself around the wisdom of God. You can't contain all the wisdom and the, your mind was not created to be able to do that but your spirit man was because the spirit searches all things. Even the deep things of God. There are some things of God that are exceedingly deep. Ooh, I like the idea of being deep. I want to be a deep prize. That's not what I'm talking about. The, the things of God are very deep. You might be really shallow. Not you, brother, but I know better than that. You, you might be a shallow person, you know, in some ways, but the Holy Spirit has all the depth of the things of God. And the most simple-minded person can receive and draw from that, from that well of the riches of everything God has. It comes up on the inside of you, praise God. And if you want that to happen, you need to ask for it. 
It's not going to happen if you don't ask. There must have been a reason that the Apostle Paul prayed this prayer over and over without ceasing for the, for the Ephesians. He said, I pray that the eyes of your understanding would be enlightened, that God would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. It must be something that has to be prayed about or else Paul would have just said, you have it. Or I hope he gives it to you. I hope you're one of the chosen ones. But no, he went back to the church at, uh, of Ephesus in his prayers and went over without ceasing. He kept calling their name in prayer and praying these things. These things will not happen unless somebody asks. Amen. He was wanting the, or the, the Ephesians to start asking. The God wants us to start asking for revelation, for understanding. The eyes, he said, of your understanding being enlightened. Well, you know he's not talking about his, your natural eyeballs. He's not talking about your natural sight. He's talking about spiritual understanding. We need it today, folks. I said we need it. The church is not, we've proven what we can do with natural wisdom. Very, very little. How much has our community, our community, how much has our community changed in 20 years as a result of the efforts of the church? Let me just ask you, population-wise, how much has our community changed? Not much. I'm not talking about spiritual. I'm not talking about demographics. I'm talking about spiritually. Drive into this town today from somewhere else. It's just like it was 20 years ago spiritually. With all the churches, all the work that everybody does, all the preaching, the teaching, all of everything. We've proven what we can do with where we are. Operating on what we have. We have to have more understanding. We have to have God's revelation of what is available to us and how to, how to minister it to other people. If we don't get more information, guess what? Should Jesus tarry another 30 or 40 years, you know what this town's gonna be like? Just like it is now. It'll be a little bit bigger, but it'll be the same people. I mean, the same spiritual climate 50 years from now as it is right now unless the church does something different than it's been doing the last 50 years. You know the old saying, the rest, you know, the, the definition of, of insanity is doing the same thing and expecting different results. Telling you, God is calling on the church to go deeper and I'm not talking about for the sake of being deep. I'm talking about to get uh, uh, past the natural realm and begin to receive from the Spirit of God and learn how to navigate in the realm of the Spirit to bring about his plan and purpose. Amen. Well, praise the Lord. Let's go back to Ephesians 1 then. Hallelujah. Ephesians 1. He said, I pray without ceasing that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, 
that you may know what is the hope of his calling. Now I want to take just a real short moment here and just expound on this. That you may know what is the hope of his calling. Now we know that hope has to do with the future. Isn't that right? Faith is now, hope is future. He, one thing that I'm not going to talk about this very, very long, just for a few minutes. One thing he wants us to get understanding of spiritual. I'm not talking, again, let me say, I'm not talking about mental understanding. I'm talking about a spiritual revelation. He wants us to get understanding of the hope of his calling. Now, this can, you can apply this a couple of different ways. You can, you can think about the calling of the church. What is the calling of the church? What, what is the future? What is, God, what is God calling us to? What, what, where, what, is it, what is it God wants to do in the church? See, hope is future. The, what is the hope, the future destiny of God's calling? What is it God wants to do with the church? Well, how many of you understand? If we don't know, we're not likely to do it. We're not likely to walk in stuff we don't know. And now there's an element, like I said, spiritually you pick things up, but as you pick it up spiritually, you begin to get enlightenment mentally as well. He wants us to know the hope, the purpose. Let me say it like this, the destiny of our calling. But now let me apply it to you personally. What about your, you know, all of us, we all have a calling in Christ, but you have a calling on your life. Every person here has a calling on their life. That doesn't mean you're called to be a, a, a maybe a pulpit minister, you might be, but most people aren't. Some are, but let's say the body of Christ, you know, most people I mean, we're not sitting up here today with 200 people up front and one person in the crowd listening and everybody preaching. That's not the way it usually works. So most people are not called to pulpit ministry to one of the uh, ministry offices like apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher, but all of us have a calling on our life. In other words, God... God has a will for your life. He wills certain things for your life. Remember what Peter said about people who went about their business, doing their, their financial and business arrangements without talking to him? He said, they, he said some people say, well, to, you know, we're gonna go here or there and we're gonna buy and sell for a certain amount of time. And he said, you ought to say, if the Lord is willing, we'll go here and there and do this and that. Well, how could you expect the Lord to tell you if it's his will unless he has a will? God has a will for your life. There's a purpose for your life. In Christ, God has a purpose for you. Well, what is the hope of that calling? What is the, the destiny that God has for you? I want to know. I want to know what God, what are you calling me to? What should I be shooting for? Where should I be? What, what should I expect? Well, this is part of what he wants to show us. Now, we'll just leave that there. Uh, let's go to the next part of this. That you may know what are the riches of the glory 
of his inheritance in the saints. You know, we have some things that belong to us in Christ. We have an inheritance. And we talk about those things a lot of times. And we could spend a lot of time right here. And so I'm, 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 I'm passing over this, not because it's important, because, but because the Holy Spirit's wanting me to emphasize the third area here. Hope of his calling. Secondly, the riches of the glory of the inheritance of the saints. Thirdly, this is the thing the Spirit of God is, has led me to talk about most in this series. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe. God is wanting us to understand, to get it down here, what is the, the exceeding greatness? How great is this power that is directed to us? It is toward us. And, and then he tells us how great it is. He said it's according to, or in the same measure, of the power, which his mighty power, which he worked in Christ, when he raised him from the dead. Now, here's the way we usually compartmentalize things without really thinking about it. We get, we get focused on certain things that are true and they're valid and they're important, but they're, they're, a lot of times it's one side of, you know, the, our redemption is like a many-faceted jewel. And you turn that thing around and every side there's something else that needs to be explored. We just, we just uh, celebrated Easter two Sundays ago. Thank God. I'm not trying to, in my teaching, sometimes I challenge you to look at other sides. I'm not being, you know, just intentionally uh, dismissing traditional things. Uh, traditional is not the right word, but things Christians most often look at. I'm not an iconoclast trying to just, you know, trash things that are ordinary so that I can get you to see something else. It's just another facet. We ought to be celebrating the resurrection. The Bible says that if Jesus had, was not raised from the dead, and I'm talking about in his body, bodily raised from the dead. If Jesus hasn't been raised from the dead, then we're still in our sins. Then we're not redeemed. Then the Bible's not true. And we're not going to heaven. Thank God he was raised from the dead. And there's a lot that that truth implies and, and, and is important to us. He was raised from the dead. But here's what I want you to see. There, there's, another, there's another side to that jewel. You just need to just keep looking at that resurrection and then just turn that, turn that jewel just a little bit. There's another facet that's right next to it. The exceeding greatness of his power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and. When he, when he raised him from the dead and. When he raised him from the dead and seated him. See, the power, we talk about resurrection power. We sing about it. Woo, that resurrection power is, and we talk about the power that raised Jesus from the The same power that raised Jesus from the dead also seated him. And it wasn't two separate uh, workings. It was one exercise of that power. It both, that power at, at one, at, in one application of that power, 
It both raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand of the Father. We talk about, ooh, we want resurrection power. I just believe the resurrected life of Jesus. Well, are you talking about being seated? Most of the time, people are only talking about a new life. And, and again, it, looks, it sound, might sound like I'm, I'm dismissing that. I'm not. But it, it, w- w- there are other things we need to see. Yes, we have a new life in Christ. Yes, because he lives, I live. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. You know, we sing us a wonderful song. That's true, that's great. But because he lives, he also, where does he live? He's seated, he's not just living, he's seated at the right hand of the Father. He wasn't just made alive, he was seated at, at, at God's right hand. We were not just made alive, we were seated. We were seated where he was seated. Now you'd have to read down into the second chapter a little bit further to see that. But most of you, if you know your Bible, you know that's true. We were, we were made alive with him. We were raised up with him. And we were seated together with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. God wants us to get an understanding of the exceeding greatness of his power that is toward us. And it is the same degree of power, the same working of power that, that, that he worked in him, it's toward us. And that power raised him from the dead and seated him. That same power that raised him from the dead and seated him is working for us. It's toward us. It's toward us. Well, well, why is it toward us? What, what, you know, was it just, did resurrection and seating power, seating power, was it just a one-time application? In other words, it, it operated in Christ. He was dead. It operated in Christ, raised him up and seated at the Father's right hand, and then it's done. And so you and I, when we were born again, we were placed into Christ and, when, and in him we were raised up and seated with him and then it's done. That's where we are. No, it's toward us. There's an ongoing application of that power. Jesus is seated in a place of power and a place of authority. He exercises authority and dominion because he was given it it was given to him far above all principality power might and dominion most places if you have reference bible that gives a little bit of notations here all principality it, is, it could be translated rule. Power is the word for authority and might is the word for power. You know, exousia is the word for authority and dunamis is the word for power. And I'm not familiar enough with the word that's translated principality, but other places they, they render the word rule. Jesus was raised up and seated at the right hand of God, far above all rulership, all authority, all power, 
and all dominion. Some translations say lordship. He was seated above all of those things. And it goes on to say that he's over all those things. Well, he exercised, it's, it's, the, it's the, what purpose would it be for, for Jesus to be exalted above all rule, all authority, all power, and all lordship, what good would it be if he doesn't exercise power, authority, lordship, and rule? He's not at the Father's right hand and he and the Father playing chess. Just looking at their eternal watch saying, well, I don't know when these people are gonna finally get it right where you can go back. Jesus is exercising authority, power, rule, dominion, and lordship at the Father's right hand over all, all of these rulers and authorities. Well, if that's the case, why are we having so much trouble down here? Glad you asked. Go to Matthew 28. Matthew 28. Glory to God. Matthew 28. Verse number 16. Then the 11 disciples went away into Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Jesus came and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Now, I can't, I can't prove this by the Bible, but at least to me, I'm convinced that this wasn't just a casual declaration. When Jesus uttered these words, just by the very nature of what he said is not something that's just a casual, uh, coincidental type comment. Jesus came and stood before them and he said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. You go therefore and preach to all nations. All authority. Now let's examine that for just a few minutes. Oh, glory. Well, we'll come back because that's just too big a, a topic. We'll come back. That, you know, just come to church regularly. You'll get it. <laughs> All authority, let's look at this part. All authority has been given to me, Jesus said, in heaven and on earth. 
Go, now the older King James says, go ye therefore. The word ye or you is not there in the Greek. In the Greek it says, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. If you know anything about the English language that this is translated in, into, you know that in every sentence there has to be a subject and a verb. Well, there are two or three verbs in this sentence. Go, make disciples, baptizing. But if you have a verb, you have to have a subject of a verb. The subject here is implied. He, the, the implied subject is you. Otherwise, it, it, it doesn't make any sense. You can't have, you can't have a, a, a verb without a subject to act on it. He's talking about you. He's talking about me. You, therefore, go, make disciples, and baptize. Now, the word therefore is very important. He said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Therefore, you go. Somebody said, you know, you could look at this and say, well, if all authority has been given to you, why do I have to go? <laughs> Jesus was conferring his authority on the church in the earth. Notice he said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. But you know what he did a few days after this? He went to heaven. He can't exercise authority in the earth from heaven. Jesus is ruling and reigning in heaven over principalities, power, might, and dominion, but for it to be exercised in the earth, somebody has to be in the earth. You have to be here. You have to be a human being on this planet. Why? Because the heaven, even the heavens, Psalm 115 says, belongs to the Lord, but the earth he has given to the sons of men. All authority in the earth has to be exercised by people in the earth. Jesus went to heaven. He's still exercising all the authority in the heavens but he, he conferred or transferred or delegated all that authority over all principality, power, might, dominion, every name that's named that would operate in the earth. He translated that to the church by the word therefore. Somebody said, if you see the word therefore, you ought to look and find out what it's there for. Well, look it up in the dictionary. The word therefore means from that fact or reason. What fact? All authority has been given unto me in heaven and on earth. Therefore, from that fact or for that reason, you go. 
Another definition of therefore is as a result. All authority, he said, has been given to me in heaven and on earth. As a result of that being given to me, you go. Another definition of, of, of therefore means as a consequence of. All authority, Jesus said, has been given to me and as a consequence, you go and you preach and you baptize and you cast out devils if you read Mark's version of the Great Commission and you heal the sick and you Whatever comes against you, you'll take up serpents. If you drink anything deadly, something had to be transferred. The authority that was given to him was transferred to the church. But let me bring it on home. It was transferred to you. It was transferred to you. Transferred to you. Without picking on anybody and understand that I'm I'm including myself when I say this, but it, it helps to, to, to be more pointed. You, you know, when you point you, one finger, you have three pointing back at you, yeah? You are not exercising the authority that God gave you like you should. You are not. I are not. <laughs> You are, I can tell you, you are not exercising the authority that God gave you, that Jesus transferred to you the way you ought to and the way you can. You're not doing it. Because if you were, we'd know it. <laughs> Same thing would happen to you that happened to Jesus. Your fame would be spreading around. Come on now. God is wanting to get us to a place of understanding in here first, understanding that all of this authority that God gave Jesus and his seating, we've been seated with him by, vir by virtue of our being in Christ right at the Father's right hand. Go over to, 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 go over to Hebrews what, what, what is the right hand of the Father? What in the world does that mean? What, what's the value of that? Go to Hebrews chapter one. God, who at various times and in various ways, <laughs> I love the way that's worded. The first few words there sets up a, a panoramic, a spectrum of all of God's dealings with man down through the ages in just a few words there. He's just taking this big brush and painting this huge picture. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophet. You know, God spoke one way to Adam he spoke a, a, another way to Noah. Isn't that right? He revealed himself at the Tower of Babel. Huh? Yeah. He spoke to Abraham. I mean, God has revealed himself in different ways 
and in different manners at different times through the ages. Ooh, glory. But he has in these last days spoken to us by his son, whom he has appointed heir of all things. Oh, there is so much here and so little time. <laughs> he has appointed him as heir of all things. Now notice, through whom he also made the worlds. Now how can that be? Through Jesus, through his son, before he was called Jesus of Nazareth, through his son, God made the worlds. Didn't we read that over in Colossians? Everything that's been made, all dominions, thrones, everything, everything that's been created, turn over there to Colossians real quick. We'll get out of here in a minute. I really am purposing to get you out of here before you get soaked and wet today. So I'm wanting to get you out, but praise the Lord. Colossians chapter one. He is the image, verse 15. Talking about Jesus, he is the image of the invisible God. Well, that's exactly what he said in Colossians in the next part of this. Verse three, who, Hebrews 1, 3, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his, the Father's person. That's what he's saying in Colossians. Go back to Colossians. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in earth, that are, excuse me, that are in heaven, that are on earth, visible or invisible, where the thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and by him all things consist. What does that mean? All things consist. The, the meaning of that is that everything in the material universe, the cohesion that holds the molecules of this chair together, physically. Without Christ, everything in it and everything in this place would just come apart, just fly apart. But there's something that holds all the molecules together in physical, everything that governs the physical world. He's the author of it and he holds it up by the word of his power. That's who Jesus is. You wanna know who he is? He is God the creator. He upholds everything. He created everything. John says that, that the word, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was, was God and all things that were created were created by him and there's nothing that was made that was made that wasn't made by him. Now, Hebrews. Then it says he appointed him heir of all things through whom he made the world. How can that be? How can the one who created all things upholds, keeps everything intact, how can he become the heir of something he created? The writer here is, is presenting a dichotomy for us. Two completely different things brought right together in Christ. 
whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made all things. <laughs> Being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things through the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sin, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become, notice in the first verse, he has appointed him heir in verse four, having become so much better than the angels. How in the world did Jesus become? If you become something, that means you weren't before because if you were, you couldn't become. How in the world could Jesus, who created all of the angelic hosts, who was before all manner of principality and power, created all of it, how could he now, by inheritance, obtain the name more excellent than theirs? It all goes back to the fact that Jesus, though he was God, he emptied himself, took on humanity. It was in his humanity that he purged our sins. It was in his humanity he redeemed us back to God. He became what we were. And let me tell you something, he stayed what we were. His career coming to the earth wasn't just a brief interlude. He took upon himself humanity and he will have that for eternity. He took us on so that we could take him on. He became what we were so that we could become what he is. Not God, but, in, but, but everything he accomplished as a human being, he took us into it. He's gonna be sitting on that throne. His Bible talks about the ages to come. He's gonna demonstrate his love and his kindness to us. God is through Christ Jesus. I don't know how many ages are out there, but during all those ages, there'll be a man who came to this planet, a physical man with, with bone and flesh. And we will be a part of him. We'll be, we'll be raised up, resurrected, enthroned with him. Ooh, glory. Just plain old homo sapiens just people like you and me, including you and me. All of that authority, all of that authority, Jesus won. When he said, all authority has been given, how in the world was it given to him? I thought he already had it. He created all the authority. No, he humbled himself to death, to spiritual death, even the death of the cross submitted to the lowest regions, submitted to complete, complete subjugation to death. And then when God said, the debt's paid, power, 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 the working of his mighty power, Quickened him, made him alive, raised him up and seated him. Yeah. All of that power worked in you 
the moment you said yes to Jesus. The moment you said, come into my life, Lord Jesus. I give you my all, save me, wash me. That moment, you were brought right into that throne room. Woo! Then Jesus said, now, I'm going away. But all this authority in heaven, I'm taking with me. But the authority in the earth, I'm leaving here. Now, you take that authority and you go. All right, praise the Lord. I didn't do it. I tried. (laughs) Glory to God. Let's stand. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Oh, glory. Glory, glory, glory. We're so thankful. We're so thankful. Lord Jesus, wonderful, precious Savior. Glory to God. So grateful that you, the creator of all things, would lay all of that aside, all of the glory of that, all of the rights associated with that. You put all that off and came here because without you, we would never know what it was like to have authority. Unless, Jesus, you had done what you did, we would never have known God. And we would have been, we would have spent eternity lost. Because there is no other salvation. But you came. You were willing, Lord Jesus, to lay everything aside and even submit to separation from your Father to bring us back to redeem us from that place of being outcast, without God, without hope, having no future except the destiny of hell and eternal separation. He brought us out. Glory to God. The only thing you asked for us, asked of us, was faith to just believe on you. Glory to God. Oh, hallelujah. What what an amazing thing. Praise God. Then you gave us some assignments. There There are some responsibilities, Lord, that go with this new life. And that is to take the authority that you gave us and start exercising it keeping the devil completely shut down in our lives. Ruling and reigning in this life and going with this message of freedom, redemption, authority, power, grace, blessing, inheritance to all the world. Teaching them, setting captives free. At Impact Family Church, it is our desire to see you blessed through the power of the Word of God. We have been helping people to change their world for over 25 years through our dynamic ministries and teaching. If you are going to be in the North Central Florida area and are interested in attending our services or just want more information about us, you can visit us online at www.impactfamilychurch.com.